Let's just pray. Father, come and speak to us as we turn to your word now. And we thank you that you've done such an amazing job to record what you've said to us as humans in the Bible. And so we ask for your blessing and for your help as we come to it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good. How many of you have done whitewater rafting before? Just put your hands up. My word, that's, that's a lot of people. Um, I'm surprised. Gail did it about 30 years ago, and <laughs> she said that um, she was the only person on her raft who didn't fall into the water. She, was just, she had this white-knuckle grip <laughs> on the raft. Um, and then Stan Flowers, he did it some time ago. He almost drowned. Um, we've got Luke over there who dislocated his shoulder when he was whitewater rafting. Uh, I think Mark Blankenberg damaged his neck or his back or something. So it's, it's a really great thing to get into. Um, I'd recommend it. <laughs> but, but I've just been thinking about it in, in the last couple of weeks and, and thinking that, you know, life is a lot like whitewater rafting, isn't it? You know, there's just a lot of chaos. There's a lot of disorder. There's a lot of fear. There's... Uh, it seems overwhelming at times. And the scary thing I, I find as a Christian is that God is actually calling us to a higher standard of living on the river than anybody else is being called to. And so that actually makes it harder, doesn't it? And we're also called to look out for others. So whilst we're trying to make sure that we don't drown, we're also helping other people who are inundated by the waters and we're trying to pull them into our raft and it's a, real, it's a real challenge. And the, the first um, century Christians were, were no strangers to the state of affairs, and particularly Christian Jews. And that's who the letter of Hebrews was written for. And the reason was that, first of all, they were um, in the line of fire of the Roman Empire because they didn't declare Caesar as Lord, they declared Jesus as Lord. But they also came under fire from their fellow Jews because their fellow Jews thought that they were preaching heresy and that they were actually anti-God. They thought they were doing God a favor when they punished and persecuted Christian Jews. So these people were, were having a really hard time and they knew exactly what it was, what it was like. Um, in fact, prior to writing this letter, the writer refers back to some things that happened in the past. Um, just have a look. Hebrews 10 verses 32 to 34. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, in other words, enlightened by the gospel message, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. They were called to a higher standard. They, they were called to declare Jesus as Lord. And it put them in harm's way as a result. And the writer could see that conditions were returning to that same state of affairs in the Roman Empire. And so he's wanting to make sure that Jewish Christians don't go back to the synagogue, but that they stay true to their faith. And so... With that context in mind, let's just review very quickly what the writer has already been doing so far. He's urged them to listen, he's urged them to look, and then today he's going to urge them to consider. Listen, look, consider.
consider. And Jesus is the object of all of those three verbs. So first of all, listen, at the very start of chapter 1, if you just thumb back to the beginning there, the writer tells us that Jesus is God's final, ultimate word to us. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And of course, we need to be reassured of the credentials of any source, don't we? If, we, if someone comes and tells us something, we only pay attention if we trust that person. And so the writer here spends a lot of time establishing Jesus' credentials. What is his personality? What is his status? What is his work? And remember, it was just mind-blowing to reflect on those things. It said that Jesus sustains everything by the power of his word. He has seated himself at the right hand of the Father, and he is in control of the universe. He's the exact imprint of God. This is the writer trying his best to express the truth that Jesus is God. And he's the son of God and so on and so forth. And we learnt about all of these amazing things about Jesus. And why wouldn't we listen to him as a credible source? Therefore, he comes to this conclusion in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So we pay attention to Jesus. Remember in that particular sermon, we talked about Francis Chichester and him flying across the ocean and having to pay attention to his navigational aids. That's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we're listening to what Jesus has to say to us, constantly reminding us of what Jesus has said about the way to be saved, about the way to be put right with God, about the way to live, about the way to relate to God. And so if, if we want a white water raft as Christians, as a Christ follower, we, we need to listen to Jesus. And then he tells us not only to listen, but to look as well. He starts the section on seeing in chapter 2, verse 5. And first of all, he describes paradise lost which is what we are more than familiar with. It's this white water rafting experience. But, but then he talks about the way it was meant to be. And it was, it was far more supposed to be like, I suppose, a, a houseboat trip rather than white water rafting. Humans were crowned with glory and honor. They had everything in subjection under their feet. They were created to manage the universe on God's behalf. And remember that the writer used um, Psalm 8 to, to tell us all about that. That was the quotation that he, he used. But of course, this is not the case in the present, is it? He writes in verse 8, At present, we do not see everything in subjection to mankind. We see the white water rafting. We see the fact that human beings are getting trampled by elephants, and they're getting crushed by earthquakes, and they're getting drowned by tsunamis and so on and so forth. We don't see it, but what do we see? But we see Jesus. And what do we see about Jesus? We see that he is crowned because of his death and that he became incarnated as a man. And of course, Trevor spent a wonderful 
um, 30, 35 minutes with us last week talking about Jesus' incarnation. The fact that he came to become a human being for each one of us. You know, if I want to connect with guppies, anything that I do as a human being is going to frighten those guppies. Even if I'm doing good things for them, if I'm cleaning out their bowl or putting food in there for them. But if I really want to connect with those guppies, I've got to become a guppy. <laughs> and that's what Jesus did for us. Can you imagine, folks? He actually became a human being and he will remain as a human being for the rest of time. He did that for us. Shucks, if I had the opportunity, I wouldn't want to, I'd much rather be an angel. But maybe that's because I just don't understand the, the honor and the privilege of being a human being, that Jesus was actually prepared to become a human being on our behalf. And so he was incarnated and then he tasted death on our behalf and he was crowned. And when we look at Jesus crowned and we see him enthroned at the right hand of the Father, it reminds us that one day, the Bible tells us one day, we will rule with him over the new heaven and the new earth. Isn't that incredible? That's what we, that's what we need to see. Yes, we do see the chaos around us, but we need to take our attention of us, off that and remind ourselves, give ourselves some perspective. This is not the way it's going to end up. I'm going to end up seated with Christ in heavenly places with everything subjected under our feet. So we listen, we see, and then the last thing that we do, and this is what we're going to spend the, the bulk of our time looking at today, we consider. So today... We're going to have a look at what we need to consider in our minds and why we are to consider it. What we are to consider and why we are to consider it. So let's read uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 here. The world is not as it should be because I cannot read without glasses. <laughs> Therefore, holy brothers and sisters... We share in the heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So what are we to consider? The first thing that we need to consider is his help as an apostle and a high priest. Don't be frightened by that. We're going to explain it. Verse 3 says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. The NIV translates that consider word as fix your thoughts on Jesus. It can mean to think about, to notice, to observe, to consider. In our daily lives, Folks, we need to take Jesus into account. 
I wonder how often we do that. Notice that in, in this verse, um, we are addressed as holy brothers and sisters. And we're holy because Jesus has made us holy through his death and resurrection on the cross. We see this in chapter 1, verse 3. He's referred to it. We're also sanctified, which means to be made holy or to be cleaned. We see that in chapter 2, verse 11. But we also, do you see it there in the verse, it says that we share in a heavenly calling. So what, what the writer is doing is he's reminding us that this world is not our home. We have a heavenly calling. We're actually on a journey. I used to love that song by Larry Norman where he'd said, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. We're on a journey and we are in companionship with other Christians and especially with Jesus. Jesus is leading us on this journey to eternity, to heaven. It's a heavenly calling. But how often, on a daily basis, do we keep that in mind? Do we keep in mind the fact that we are traveling with one another and we're traveling with Jesus? And it's vitally important that we do that. For example, if I'm traveling in a Honda Fit, like most Zimbabweans, I would think that I can go anywhere. And you almost can in a Honda Fit. But you know, if I get bogged down in some, you know, maybe we go to Mana Pools in a two-wheel drive vehicle, it's really good to be aware of the fact that there's someone else who's traveling with you who's got a 4 by 4 whether it's a Land Cruiser or a Land Rover or whatever it happens to be. Are we aware of the fact that the one who is leading us, the one who is appointed to help us, is actually with us? Are we availing ourselves or are we just simply wheel spinning in the mud and getting stuck? So what is it about Jesus that we should consider? Well, the verse begins with the word therefore. And that's a connector. That's connecting what he's saying to what's come before. It's pointing back to what comes before. So have a look at what came before in verse 18 in chapter 2. It says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is something that we need to consider. This is something that we need to take into account. People suffer in life, whether they follow Jesus or not. But as followers of Christ, we are called to face extra trials. We're called to face extra suffering on the account of Jesus. Jesus said we've got to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That means extra suffering. And these trials, every one of them will bring a test of faith. As we're experiencing this trial, maybe as we cry out to God for healing or for some financial problem, and at the moment it's not getting sorted out, it's not getting fixed, God is calling us to walk through it, that's when we're tempted to ask ourselves, does God really care? You know, does, does He love me? Is He powerful enough? Is all of this that we do as Christians, is it all just an illusion? Maybe I should just start withdrawing a little bit from it. Start taking things a little bit easy. Every trial, every suffering that we have brings on, it triggers a crisis of faith. And so that's when we need to remind ourselves of Jesus. And I often do this when I'm praying when I'm going through something that's difficult, I remind myself 
of the fact that Jesus became a man. He knows what it's like, for example, to feel tired. There's an occasion in the Bible where he was working so hard with his disciples that they didn't even have time to eat. He knows what it's like to feel tired. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by those who are closest to him. Have you considered that when someone has betrayed you in life? Jesus knows what it's like. He can identify. But Jesus was more than a fellow human being. Let's go back now to the first verse of today's passage. It says there in verse 3, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of your confession. Jesus is the apostle and the high priest of your confession. What does it mean that Jesus is our apostle? I think this is the only place in the entire Bible where Jesus is referred to as an apostle. Well, we know from the context that he was sent to tell us what God is like. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 12. He was sent to bring a special message. That's what a, an apostle was. An apostle was like an ambassador. An ambassador who comes from someone important and brings the message from that important person. So Jesus is our apostle. He's also our high priest, which means that he represents us before God. So he is the one who prays on our behalf. The Bible tells us that, that he is praying and interceding for us at the throne of the Father. And so he represents us to the Father, and he also represents the Father to us. He's the apostle that brings the message, and he's the high priest that represents us to the Father. And so when we're facing trials which bring us into temptation and suffering, we need to fix our thoughts, first of all, on Jesus as our messenger from God. What is Jesus telling us about the love of God? What is Jesus telling us about the power of God? What is Jesus telling us about God's mercy? We need to do that. Maybe withdraw when we're, when we're struggling and just spend some time reflecting on that. What is Jesus, what message is Jesus bringing me from the Father? And, you know, the Holy Spirit brings the very presence of Jesus into our hearts. And we can hear from, we can hear the voice of the Father giving us a word that we need to encourage us in our time of need. And that's because Jesus is our messenger. He's our apostle. But he's also our high priest. We, we, we can get through things because we know that Jesus did it. And we can ask him for help. The writer comes back to this in chapter 4. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Grace speaks of God's supply. We come to the throne of grace, to the throne of God's supply, that we may receive mercy and find grace in, to help us in time of need. So that's the first thing that we consider. Remember, we talked about hearing, we talked about seeing. Now we consider. We consider Jesus and his help 
as the one who represents God to us and his help as the one who represents us to God. Ooh, I wish I could have one of those. <laughs> are, those are those little bubble gums falling down? Or maybe it's a necklace. So we need to consider Christ's example of faithfulness to God. That was the first thing. God as the apostle and God, uh, Jesus as the apostle and Jesus as the high priest. Now his example to us of faithfulness. Look in verse 2 there. It says, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. You know, Jesus was faithful to God, even though it cost him absolutely everything. And we're called to that same faithfulness to God. We're called to be faithful to God, even when it costs us everything. And Jesus did that. Moses did it as well. Jesus is the perfect example, but Moses, can you imagine going through that desert with 600,000 Jews all complaining and grumbling and moaning? And then when they're disobedient to God and they worship a false god, they make an idol to worship, God comes to Moses and he says, let me just destroy all of them and I'll raise up a new people through you. What did Moses say? He said, oh no, please don't do that. Don't do that. Because what will the nations think when they see your special chosen people destroyed by you? Don't do that. He was faithful in God's house as a servant to God. And in the same way, Jesus was faithful as well. I just think of, can, can you imagine what it would be like, folks? I don't know if we can grasp this. But from eternity past... Jesus knew that he was going to come and die for us and be separated from the Father. I, I, I just can't, I can't imagine what that was like. And how many occasions, especially as a human being, did he have opportunity to turn his back on the Father, to be unfaithful to the Father? When he was sweating blood um, on the Mount of Olives... He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. But if there's any way to do this without me having to suffer, please let it be. And of course, Satan was tempting him along those lines all the way. What was it that the scribes and the Pharisees were taunting him with when he was on the cross? They said, come down if you're the son of God. In other words, prove that you're the son of God. Get people to believe in you without having to suffer. That was Jesus' biggest temptation. And yet he was faithful. He was faithful to go through that suffering. And so sometimes we have to be faithful to go through suffering for the sake of Christ, for the sake of reflecting him accurately to the people around us. Sometimes we're called not to do things that everybody's doing. Sometimes we're called to do things that everybody is not doing. But we need to be faithful to Christ. So that's what we consider. But why? Why would we consider Jesus? Well, Moses, he was revered by the people that the writer was addressing in the letter um, as being the quintessential example of faithfulness to God. And he was a great example. But Jesus is worthy of greater consideration than Moses. And here's why. So we consider Jesus because he is the builder of all things. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, 
as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. You know, I think we can understand that analogy. If we look at an amazing house, yeah, we praise the house, but it isn't long before we're saying, who built that house? And it isn't longer again until we say, who was the architect? Who designed that house? Ah, it was Bruce Rowlands. He is worthy of more honor than the building itself. That's the, that's the analogy here. This is saying that Jesus, who is the creator and the sustainer of everything, is worthy of greater praise than Moses. And then he's also a son over God's household. Verse 5, Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken, to, that were spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Can you see the contrast of those two things? Moses was, in the past, faithful as a servant in God's house, but Jesus is, present tense, because he's eternal, he is faithful as a son over God's house. One, Moses was a mere servant, but Jesus was a son over the house. And... Folks, at this point, it's really good to remind ourselves not to overly revere people who are servants in God's house. Let's always remember, and, it, and for all of us, as servants in God's house, our job is to point to the son over God's house. So don't revere people. Don't attach too much importance to people. Remember the source Remember who they should be pointing to. And also remember that as human beings, we're so, we so easily get it wrong. We end up following false doctrines and false truths where we end up revering. I mean, it's possible to revere people who are genuine servants in God's house. How much more so would it be possible for us to, to trip up and revere people who are not even genuine servants in God's house? We just need to be so, so careful of that. Make sure that you are spending time considering Jesus above everything else, everyone else. So he's worthy of consideration because he's the builder of the house. He's worthy of consideration because he's the son over God's house. But lastly, he's worthy because he helps us to hold fast. You know, in, in many ways, life is like being involved in a shipwreck. I really think it does just feel like that sometimes. Um, and we get given things to hold on in the shipwreck to make sure that we survive it. Um, and if we don't hold on to this faith of ours that we have, we're not going to survive this shipwreck of life. We're not going to make it across the finish line into eternity. So we need to hold on to the truth. We need to hold on to the hope that we have Back in verse 3, the writer was talking about Jesus being our confession. Let's read it again. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And the commentators agree that this is a reference to the public confession that Jesus was Lord. Jesus is Lord. Back in the first century, when you became a Christian, uh, Trevor has been telling us in the Life Group um, Bible study series that you made that 
declaration. Jesus is Lord. And of course, folks, that was bringing you into the line of fire of the Roman Empire. Because anyone who did not consider the emperor to be Lord was seen as a traitor. He was seen as someone who was undermining the very fabric of society, somebody dangerous. And yet Christians were called to confess that Jesus is Lord. He's the one who's in charge of my life. He has more authority over me than Caesar or money or greed or anything else. So we make that confession that Jesus is Lord. And when, when it was publicly known that a person revered Jesus, it puts them into harm's way. And to some degree, folks, it's going to be the same for us today. But we make the confession because we believe that though it might make life harder now, we are confident that the best is yet to be. And each time we pay the price of fidelity to Christ, we show ourselves to be members of his house. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Folks, this is the evidence that we have been born again, that we've been changed. Because come hell or high water, we hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. What is that hope? What is that living hope? It is that since Jesus Christ took the punishment for our sins, died and was separated from God, that we don't have to, to do that. We don't have to experience that punishment anymore. And then because he was raised from the dead, we too have a hope that we will be raised from the dead to spend eternity with God. This is our hope. This is our confession when we say Jesus is Lord. It's the hope and the confession that we hold on to. So just in conclusion, folks, Spend time regularly just considering Jesus. Consider him. Do it. Do it in your quiet times. Just think about Jesus. Think about what it was like for him to be ministering so flat out that he couldn't, he didn't even have time to cook a meal. Just reflect on that. Reflect on him kneeling in the, the Garden of Gethsemane and saying, God, if you would just take this cup of suffering away from me, if it could be done in any other way, just think about him doing that for you. Consider Jesus. Consider his help. He is the one who brings the word of the Father to us. We need his help on a daily basis. He's also the one who represents us to the Father. So consider that. When you're, when you're struggling, remember that you have the four-wheel drive to pull you out of the mud. He's an example. This is the other thing that we consider, that he is faithful to God. He's an example of faithfulness to God. And so why do we do this? Why do we consider Jesus? He's the builder of all things. He is at the core of it all. It's in him. It's, uh, it's just amazing. He's the son over God's household. Don't end up revering or considering servants in God's household more than the son over God's household. And then lastly, the reason why we do it is so that we will hold fast until the end. Does it say in Isaiah, he says, when you walk through the flood, I will be with you. Sometimes we aren't taken out of the flood. Sometimes we have to walk through the flood. It's Jesus who is there for us to hold on to, to make sure that we don't sink below the waters. 
It, it also says, when you go through the fire, I will be with you. So we need to hold on to Jesus. Let's pray. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Holy Spirit, we, we just recognize that you are so key in this whole process of considering Jesus. You're the one who, who reveals Jesus to us. Um, you're the one who brings the presence of Jesus into our hearts. So just as we spend a few moments just in quiet, help us to consider Jesus. Just, just bring the presence of Jesus to us so that we could hear the voice of the Father in the midst of our, our white water rafting. Father, I ask for each person here that they would experience Jesus in a deeper way than they ever have before in the coming week. Please show yourself to us. And, uh, and for those who are holding on, but maybe just by their fingernails, I pray that you would reestablish their grip firmly in the grip of, of Jesus. We thank you that we are in, in your grip, Father God, and help us just to hold on as well. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.